In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time a prayer fruitful, my Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Lord Jesus, it's so good to be in your presence to pray together. And on Sunday, we celebrate, as you know, the Feast of Corpus Christi, the solemnity of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's good for us to be in this setting with our Lord exposed here before us in the Blessed Sacrament. And I thought what we could do for our first meditation is to pray with the the Bread of Life Discourse, John chapter 6. And the Bread of Life Discourse comes just a day after our Lord performs an amazing miracle, and he multiplies a handful of loaves and a couple fish to feed a crowd of thousands, thousands of people. And so this sparks an interest in the crowd to follow our Lord, right, to be with him again. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, at the place where he multiplied the loaves and the fish. They themselves got into boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And this is an important part of our spiritual life, right? They came looking for Jesus, looking for Christ. And we'll see that they're looking for him in a way that he thinks should be more elevated, more purified. But nevertheless, they are doing something essential for our prayer life, essential for the spiritual life, which is to see Christ. So Lord, help us. Help us to figure out when do we need to seek you and how to seek you and where to find you. Perhaps the most obvious thing is sinfulness, right? Sinfulness separates us from God, separates us from Christ. And so insofar as we're sinners, we need to go running back to him. We need to look for him, find him, find his mercy. There could be times in our life when it's not necessarily sin, but just some trial that our Lord allows. Right? It could be illness, it could be some strain at work, or some family problem, or some relationship that all of a sudden becomes difficult. And in those moments of trial, of dryness in prayer, or whatever kind of trial it may be, this is also a good attitude, right? A good way to frame it. I need to see Christ in this. I need to find Christ in this. I need to be looking for Christ in this problem, whatever, whatever it is. Come to me, Jesus says, you who 
labor and are heavy laden. And come to me, find me. And so, Lord, whether it's sinfulness or whether it's just some trial that we don't understand or that's hard for us to go through, help us to realize, Lord, that you are there waiting for us. But we have to want to be with him, to look for him in those moments. And, Lord Jesus, we thank you because with our faith, not necessarily with our emotions or our heart or even our intellect at times, but with our faith, we know where to find him. And he's here in the Blessed Sacrament. He's in every single Catholic church right, all over the world. And so seeking Jesus is not seeking someone who's hiding from us. In a way, he's hidden. In a way, he's not. He's right there with our faith. And they found him. And when they found him across the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Amen, amen, I say to you, you were looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And so these people come to our Lord, Jesus is saying, not because they saw signs, which would mean that they're looking for God in him, or they're believing in him, in his person, but rather because of the effects of the miracle. Right? You like what I gave you. You like bread. And bread's pretty important, right? Food, <laughs> food is pretty important. But Jesus wants to take that desire to receive, receive something from him and elevate it right, to the supernatural level. You were looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. And this too, Lord, is very helpful in my relationship with you. This is very helpful for my prayer life and my spiritual life. Okay, it's one thing to seek Jesus, but why am I seeking him? What am I looking for? Lord, am I always going to you on my own terms with the things that I know that I need or I think I know that I need or the things that I kind of know that I want? And perhaps those aren't the things that are really all that important in terms of my spiritual life or in terms of God. We all have these, right? Well, maybe it was that the Celtics would have won last night. And I'm sorry that... They didn't, right? Or maybe it's that gas prices go down someday or that the stock market rebounds or, right? All these things that we can kind of go to God for. Some security, financial security, some good health, some intention that we have. And they're not, nothing wrong with any of those things. But perhaps at the same time, Lord, I don't go to you and say, well, Lord, what should I want? What should I be seeking in you? What do you want to give me? What do you want me to ask for? And God, as St. Josemaria said, is not outdone in generosity. When we approach God with this humble and generous disposition of seeking his will 
and his gifts and coming to him on his terms. Well, God is not outdone in generosity. He responds with great blessings, great blessings, great favor, holiness, fruitfulness, eternal life. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. So they said to him, what can we do to accomplish the works of God? And so Jesus is trying to get them to believe in him, and they kind of change the subject, right? He's trying to get them to follow him in a certain line of thought, into a certain truth, into a certain realization. And um, they want to keep the conversation on their own terms. So they kind of change the topic, right? Well, what can we do to do the works of God? And Jesus pulls it back to faith in him. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he sent. So they said to him, what sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? What can you do? And so once Jesus says, okay, if you want to do the works of God, you want to change the topic to that, I'll tell you what the work of God is. Believe in me. Believe in my words. And then they ask, well, why should we believe? What sign can you do that we may see and believe in you? What can you do? Now think about that. The day before, all these people had their full of loaves and fish from that one little boy's lunch because Jesus multiplied them miraculously. And because of that, they, they, they follow our Lord across the sea to be with him at Capernaum. And a day later, they're like, uh, what sign do you perform? I talk about recency bias, right? It's like, what have you done for me lately? And that too is super helpful and instructive for our relationship with God because we have a very short memory when it comes to God's blessings. Very short memory. And not only do we have a short memory, but we have a very telescopic view when it comes to God's blessings. And so, Lord, how easily I forget all the blessings you've given me since I was born. Life, my family, in this country, right, we're all more or less super well off. All those material blessings, my education, my vocation, the family that you founded or the supernatural family that I was called to and form part of. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Good doctrine, the teaching of the church, a relationship with Jesus Christ. So many blessings. And yet, once we hit a little bit of a wall, right? once God blesses us with the cross, as St. Josemaria says, right? blesses us with some trial, what are we tempted to do? And what do we do? Well, we're like, what the heck, right? What have you done for me lately? Why should I trust you now? And so 
that's also the telescoping. It's not just the past blessings. It's the present blessings that we utterly forget about once there's some trial, right? once there's some cross. And so, Lord, help us to have a bigger vision of our life, to be more grateful for the past blessings, for the present blessings, even for the future blessings. And to interpret a right, Lord, to interpret rightly the trials, because the trials with time and perseverance and patience are blessings too. Because that's when we learn to love God on his own terms. And that's when he can shower graces of holiness on us, faith on us, of a real supernatural outlook on us, the things that the world needs, the things that your family needs, the things that your friends need, the things that you need and I need. But they only come when we trust God on his own terms. And that takes usually takes a test, many tests. What can you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Right? This is one of about four claims that Jesus makes for the Eucharist in this Bread of Life discourse. And it's an amazing one. That not only, not only, Lord, are you in the Eucharist the bread that comes down from heaven because you're God in the Eucharist, but that you give life to the world, right? To the world. Not just to the church, not just to his disciples, but to the world. Padre Pio says something very interesting. He said, it would be easier for the earth to exist without the sun than for the world to exist without the holy sacrifice of the mass. Right? Life on earth, right, depends less on the sun than it does on the mass. Because the mass is our reconciliation with God because it is Jesus's sacrifice, his reconciling the world with God on the cross. It is the key to God's mercy. Gives life to the world. So they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. But I told you, although you have seen me, you do not believe. The second amazing claim for the Eucharist, for the bread of life, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. That spiritually, the Eucharist is sufficient for our holiness. It's sufficient, in a certain sense, for our salvation. Right? The saints say this. They say, one communion, if we had the right dispositions, if our soul, if the aperture of our soul to God's grace were just wide enough, and just pure enough, right? One communion could make you a saint. Why? Because in communion, Lord, in the Blessed Sacrament, which we gaze upon right now, we don't just have grace. We don't just have a lot of grace. We don't just have 
indefinite graces, we have the author of grace himself. We have God himself who shares his life with us. And so Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. And so I look at my life, Lord, and my relationship with you and I ask myself, well, do I go to you needy? Do I go to you thirsty? Do I go to you hungry? Or rather, Lord, do I go to you like a Pharisee, knowing that I'm already kind of okay, and this is just another way that I prove my okayness by going to Mass, right, and receiving our Lord. The Jews murmured about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Do we not know his father and mother? Then how can he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Stop murmuring among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him on the last day. And so the Jews have a good objection. It's like, what is he talking about? He's the bread of life that came down from heaven. He's the guy that we knew when he was a kid and when he made my barn door, right? And when he fixed my chair. We know his family. And so they don't believe in him enough to overcome the obvious obstacles to believing in what he's saying. And Jesus doubles down. He doubles down on the bread of life, on the Eucharist. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. And so we have a third claim there. When the Jews say, how can he be the bread of life? Jesus reiterates, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. And if you eat this bread, which I am, you will live forever. And so that third claim is that the Eucharist leads us to heaven. It's the viaticum, the bread for the trip, provisions for the journey. Life for the world. A key to eternal life. Jesus himself. The Jews quarreled among themselves again, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. 
These things he said while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And at the end of the discourse, we have the greatest claim, where we already considered several of them. This is the fourth and greatest claim. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Right? He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So important, Lord, for us to realize that when we think about the mystery of Christ, Lord, the, the mystery of your humanity united to your divinity, the mystery of our redemption, the mystery of your cross and resurrection, that we get it right, that it's not a mystery just for Christ or just for God, something outside of ourselves. It's a mystery that you and I are wrapped up in. Because to be a Christian is to have Christ's life and Christ's passion and Christ's death and Christ's resurrection encompass and inform and enliven my own life. And if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you abide in me and I in you. And Lord, we're so, I don't know what we are. We're, we're so individualistic, right? And we're so finite minded that I'm always thinking about myself over here and myself as kind of like this isolated piece and all my relations to others are just peripheral or external or accidental, however important they may be to me. And it doesn't work that way with God and it doesn't work that way with each other either because we're members of Christ in Christ. We meet each other in Christ, which is the church. And so the Eucharist and baptism Baptism and then the Eucharist and the other sacraments, but especially the Eucharist, breaks down the wall between you and God. It breaks down the wall between you and Christ. You are Christ. You are alter Christus, ipse Christus, another Christ, Christ himself. I am Christ. And Christ is me. St. Paul says it. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And what does that look like? Well, it doesn't look like you ceasing to exist as you, it's you Christified. Right? It's you making the same act of trust in the Father that Christ made on the cross. It's you making the same act of love for the world and for your friends and your enemies as Christ on the cross because Christ is doing it spiritually through you because you're united to his body, which is the mystical body. So it's not like St. Paul, like, you know, it's no longer I who live but Christ in me. It's not like St. Paul all of a sudden stopped looking like St. Paul, right? And started looking like Christ. No, St. Paul remained this short, ugly guy and he didn't look like Christ who was tall and comely and, you know, uh, much better looking than St. Paul. Unfortunately for St. Paul, he still stayed the same, <laughs> the same way externally. But in any event, um, it's, it's this interior thing, right? It's existential transformation. And that's super important because if not, we don't, you know, all of our efforts, they, uh, God help, you know, appreciates them and they're good and we want to be good, but we don't get what he's doing. We don't appreciate what he's doing, how close we are to him, how close he is to us. Because if, if we don't get that, that we're in the mystery of Christ and the mystery of Christ is in us and that we abide in him and he abides in us, what happens? Well, it's like, okay, he's always over here. 
and I'm always over here and I've got my needs and wants and he's got his and his doctrine somewhere in between and I have to like, you know, put up with them or incorporate them and I, the ones that I like, I do more and the ones that I don't like, I do less and it's always just out there, right? And it's never in here and it's never in him. I mean, it is, it is because that's just, that's what's really happening. But it's so helpful to realize what's really happening because then we can get on board much more easily, much more freely. No one knows what Jesus is talking about when, <laughs> at the time he finishes the Bread of Life discourse. I mean, how could they? Where my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Then many of his disciples who were listening said, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some, among, there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the one who would betray him. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. It's an amazing scene in the gospel. These are disciples. These are people who left their former way of life and decided to follow Jesus, that he was their master and Lord. They camped out where he was camping out. They followed him from town to town. They gave up things and, and careers and perhaps even families to be with him. And now they don't trust him enough to keep going. Why? Because he's talking about that, right? The real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And they don't get it. And how could they? Because it's, this is pre-Holy Thursday, right? Holy Thursday, Jesus says, take and eat. This is, this is my body. And he's holding what looks like bread, even though he's saying it's his body. At this point, they have no idea how this is going to work. And so they leave, and, and the, the amazing thing is Jesus doesn't call them back and say, oh, hey, hold on, guys, it's just a symbol. This is just purely spiritual. It's not physical at all. You know, sorry if I offended you, right? I apologize. Come back. It's not like he had a million disciples to choose from. These people were important. He lets them go. Why? Because faith in his word, faith in his person was essential. And if they can't trust him enough to, to keep going when they don't understand something, well, then they're not truly his disciples. And this is the same for us, whether it's the mysteries of our faith, the teachings of the church, or the trials that our vocation brings with it. The trials of, that following Christ brings with it can be moments in which we have to trust in the person of Christ even though we don't understand what's happening right now. We don't get it yet. And here, the response of Peter is so instructive and so helpful for us. Jesus then said to the twelve, do you also want to leave? Right? I'll start over. <laughs> if you don't trust me, you're free. Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, 
Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. He doesn't say, no, no, we get it, right? Yeah, eat your flesh, drink your blood. Fantastic. Let's, you know, does anyone have a fork? Right, let's start right now. I mean, he doesn't get it at all. But he's like, I'm in this already all the way. Don't know how it's going to happen. Don't know what it's going to look like. But we believe in your person and therefore in your words. And therefore, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere else to go. And to believe in the person of Christ, Lord, to believe that you are God is to believe in your providence. And so when there are times in my life where I might think about maybe I made a big mistake and this wasn't the right thing and maybe I should be maybe I should be Greek Orthodox or Anglican or whatever because of scandals in the church or because of my experience with this or that. Well, we have to be like St. Peter. Lord, to who shall we go? You founded the Catholic Church. You're the author of my life. All of its twists and turns. You have the words of eternal life. We go to Our Lady. Lord, Our Lady did this. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a promise of what was spoken to her by the Lord, right? Our Lady believed the Word of God. And the Word of God has shaped her life. And that's all we have to do. To believe, even when evidence seems to the contrary, to believe in the promises and the claims that God has made about Himself and about us and about us and Him, and about him and us. Our Lady, woman of the Eucharist, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.